0: Move over, LBJ, because Ohio has a new favorite son, and it's Anthony Inarino, and that's our guest today on TR Talk Podcast. Anthony is a world-renowned sales expert, is the president of not one, not two, but three firms generating a cool $50 million a year in revenue. And he just authored a new book, The Lost Art of Closing, and my favorite part about Anthony, he's a Midwesterner just like myself. On today's episode, we cut through the buzzwords and get down to the nitty-gritty of how to cultivate a mindset of abundance. What does he do with a spare hour? How do you invest in yourself? And one of my favorites, how do we actually provide value to folks? Today's TR Talk Fan of the Week is Michael Flip Ulmer. He hails from the Garden State and the kid loves Twisted Tea. He works at J.P. Morgan, lives in Boston, but he's a Phillies fan. So I don't know. You guys figure that one out. I don't get it. Michael. Thanks for the shares. Thanks for the comments. And keep being you, baby. We appreciate the listening. As always, this is Ryan Warner with my co-host Tom Malemo on TR Talk. Now sit back, get that coffee ready, add a little cream, add a little sugar, and enjoy as we take you into the studio in San Francisco for an interview with Anthony Areno. Take care. Good morning from the studio here in San Francisco. This is Ryan Warner, joined by my co-host, Tom Alamo. Today we have a really exciting guest, Anthony Inorino. Welcome to the show, Anthony.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, we're really excited to have you, and again, you've trained you know, thousands of salespeople, you've probably given over 50 keynotes, and you just authored a new book, The Lost Art of Closing. I'd love to dive into that, and let's just start with, why did you write this book?
1: I wrote the book because there's just so much bad advice out there for salespeople. And if you think about this, uh, Ryan, here's what's happened. For a long time, the idea of closing meant the single commitment to buy from me now. And a lot of that developed because people were self-oriented. They tried to pull the deal forward before it was time. And it, it, it contained a lot of tie downs and bad language choices and things right now that just don't work anymore. So as B2B sales grew up particularly and as we became more consultative and there's more competition and those behaviors really, really started to make it difficult for people to sell effectively and for people to buy effectively, too, if we're being honest, uh, the pendulum swung all the way the other direction from always be closing, which is this sort of self-oriented approach to asking for the business to this never be closing approach, which was really about, wait, just let the customer tell you when they want to take the next step and let them guide this process. And when they're ready to buy, they'll tell you. And that created an equally damaging problem to the endeavor of sales, because there's a bunch of salespeople waiting around for a client to tell them what comes next. When their prospective client is waiting for them to guide them and tell them how they're supposed to be getting the better results that we help people get when we sell. So there just really wasn't anything in the sales literature, and I've used the word literature here very, very loosely because we're not writing war and peace or anything like that when we write sales books. But there was nothing that gave salespeople content that matched the challenge that we have today and helping our clients change and that challenge is guiding them through a series of commitments where when we get to the final commitment to the ask is very very easy because we've done all this work together to get to that point so i've i wrote this book to fill that gap
2: yeah and that's great and you mentioned a little bit on the on the commitments there and i know you you write about that the 10 commitments that are needed throughout the buying process and doing it as a collaborative effort. Can you speak to that for a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because Neil Rackham wrote this in 1988 when he wrote Spend Selling. And the, the model, situation questions, problem questions, uh, implication questions, and need payoff questions, it's a really good model. It's still powerful, especially the implications part. At the three pages before that, though, Rackham lays out this idea that Great salespeople never left a meeting without having what he called an advance, which was some commitment to do something else that moved the deal forward. And salespeople who weren't succeeding accepted what he called a continuation, which was something like, you know, uh, Ryan, Tom, it was a really nice to meet you guys. You, I really like what you guys are doing. And, you know, at some point in the future, we'll reach out to you. And they left taking that as the next step, which was really no next step at all. Over years of working in sales, uh, I've written a lot of things down, but some of the things that I've written down are, what are those advances? What, what is the thing that moves the deal forward? And it turns out that there's a handful of them, like the commitment for time, which is what we're asking for when we prospect, and the commitment to explore change. And you know, I know a lot of people think their first visit is about discovering something about the client, but I think it's changed now, and it's more about helping the client discover something about themselves. And so that's changed dramatically. We're now doing more work around collaborating with our clients to build the right solution and building consensus on their teams. And CEB, now part of Gartner, they've written that there's 6.8 people in an average B2B deal. And their new research is gonna show that it's a number far greater than that. So what I've done is I've just codified and written down what the advances tend to look like and there's about 10 of them, and the ninth is the actual ask. So all the things that you do before that are the things that actually get you in position to be able to ask for the business. In a way, and and after doing the work, that allows the client to say yes.
0: You just hit on something I wanted to ask coming into this, and that's value. My manager talks about it, almost everyone in sales talks about you have to add value, you have to be a trusted advisor. And when I was first getting into sales, one of the most frustrating things is, yeah, I get that guys, but how do I add value? How can someone who's 25 in reality provide value to this client? Now I know there are ways to do that, but for the listeners, listeners out there, could you give some examples on, this is how you have an opinion that's valued or how you add value to a client?
1: Well, when you're 25, I mean, the, the general problem that you have is you really don't know anything. And you only need two things to be a trusted advisor. You need trust and you need advice. And uh, you don't have the advice and you just haven't been around long enough. And even if you got an MBA and you you left Harvard Business School at 24 with an MBA, it it just still doesn't mean that you have what I would call situational knowledge. So as as a young person, you have to educate yourself. I, I will tell you how I did that at a young age is I went to every client that I met with and said, You keep using these words, and I don't understand exactly what that means. I mean, I get it, but I don't know how to apply it to your business and how somebody like me should be thinking about it. And then they would say, oh, well, here, let me teach you this. And then they would explain it to me, and then I would be slightly less dumb leaving every meeting. Still plenty dumb, but less dumb. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I would be able to walk in and say, listen, a lot of my clients are dealing with throughput issues right now and it's because the quality of the labor doesn't match the task that they need. Are you struggling with that? And then people will go, oh, this guy actually knows about throughput. He understands how we're thinking about our business. And it turns out that I started to have advice to offer after I started to get the lay of the land and started to get educated. So what is value is a great question and we could spend hours and hours today talking about what the answer is because for some people it's economic value. For some people it's relationship value. For some people it's a strategic level of value or insight. And for different people there are different things that they find to be value. But here's what I would tell you to break it down into the simplest terms that we could use to make this actionable. What does that person sitting on the other side of the table from you need right now? So if you show up and they think everything is going wonderful in their world and you have insights that suggest otherwise, then the way that you create value for them is showing them what their future looks like and giving them a vision of what happens if they don't change and why they should start thinking differently now. That would be value for that person. If the person you're sitting across from has a very well-developed idea about where they need to go and why they need to move, then helping them understand how to make that change. So now the insight shifts from why change to how to change, how to make trade-offs, how to get consensus within their team, how to have conversations about risk, how to make a greater investment, then you start to have other things that create value for people. But if you just look through the lens of, I'm going to go sit down with this person and I have some idea of where they are. What do I give them so that they can be better off after that meeting than when the meeting started? And here's the things that are not value. If you say, I want to walk in and talk to you about myself and my company and our services, I'm going to show you a slide deck that's got the pictures of our buildings, our footprint all across (laughs) America, and all the logos of businesses like yours that we've won. Uh, I promise you they don't see that as value. You know, it's too self-oriented. It's not about them. We're really trying to serve other people. And in the book, if you've read it, you know, I've I've written this a, a half a dozen times. Selling isn't something that we're trying to do to someone. It's something that we're doing for someone and with someone. And so when you just start thinking about how do I create value for that person, it gets a lot easier.
2: Yeah, that and that's great. And uh, just to, to reiterate that, you, you're not selling to someone. You're selling... With someone and for someone, and that's that's a great quote. Um, and so you you mentioned a few times, um, you know, what do they do right now? Um, you talk about change. You you write about it quite a bit, and I know that's really a key a key agent for you. And, and you even put on on your LinkedIn, Anthony, um, that your greatest strength is in getting others to build consensus around what must change, and identify the resources within themselves that drive positive results. I'd love for you to just speak to that a little bit and, and around both organizational and personal change and and how you can drive that within someone.
1: Well, driving it inside someone means first, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that you can do, but you have to develop an awareness, uh, around why change in the first place. And I think that's the part that a lot of us skip over in sales. We go in and say, we have a better mousetrap and they go, you know what? I already have a mousetrap. Yeah, but my mousetrap is better. Yeah, but it's still a mousetrap and I have one. And, and unless you can get above that and say your mousetrap's a really good mousetrap and it, it worked until 2018. After 2018, you're going to need to start looking at your mousetrap in a whole different way. I, I've got to give them the awareness that they have to change. And then I have to start explaining to them both in positive and negative consequences uh, why they have to change now. And this is probably the number one question I get from salespeople is, how do I make my client change or how do I compel them to change? You have to help them understand why they need to change. And you have to typically tie it to things that they already care deeply about. So you've got to find a way to do that when it comes to personal change. You know, I think that uh, for most of us, we know that we're capable of better results and we have to find someone who can help give us the awareness of what we have to change. And I think for most of us, uh, we need accountability. We, we need somebody who that will, we can meet with, who will hold us accountable for w- what I called in the first book, me management, the commitments that we make to ourselves. And we say, I want to be something different. I want to do something different. I want to have something different and I want to make a greater contribution. Okay. Well then you have to become the person who's capable of doing all of those things. And that means you have to change. But for a lot of us, I, I think personal accountability is probably the biggest struggle.
0: Well, I think that goes hand in hand with your thoughts on having the right mindset. You know, So far we've talked a lot about what you're saying to the client, what your interaction is with the client, but I think if we take a step back, before you even get to the point of reaching out, you have to have the proper mindset and proper you know, philosophy about sales. So, how, how would you say a salesperson should be thinking or what, what should their mindset be to help drive that change?
1: Well, that's the first half of the whole uh, first book. I mean, I, I think that the mindset of uh, of uh, optimism, positive, future-oriented, empowered to, to make a difference is critical. I think being other-oriented and caring about other people is critical. I think being competitive and understanding that for most of us we're in competitive displacement uh, businesses, which means we have to take clients from our competitors while they're trying to to take ours from us, I think those kinds of things, resourcefulness, initiative, accountability, all of those things end up making you someone that's worth doing business with. And I think that that's probably the most important thing of anything I've written is to understand who you are matters more than what you do. And you say you want to be a trusted advisor. Well, if that's what you want to be and if you want to be consultative, you have to be that person. You can't say, I mean, I, I look on LinkedIn, and I see people who call themselves trusted advisors, and it's like, well, you don't get to call yourself that. <laughs> you know, all you get to do is behave that way, and then other people will decide whether you're a trusted advisor or not by trusting you with their business and with with help. So it's not something that we can bestow upon ourselves. You have to have all these attributes, and I think that the, there's a, a certain set of competencies and the mindset that matter as much as anything that we can have in the skill set. So you can be really good at closing and really good at prospecting and still not be the kind of person that people want to buy from. And it's, that's the first thing is you've got to get you right.
2: Yeah, that, and that's awesome. And and I couldn't agree more that, um, you know, success lies between the ears and and it's all in your head. And, um, so, so what's something that, you know, you're clearly someone that, um, you know, has a lot of those traits that, that you had mentioned, the optimism, empathy, you know, being competitive, resourcefulness, etc. Um, but let's say, you know, hey, sales is a lonely game and there's ups and downs. And let's say you're, you're having a bad quarter, Anthony, you're having a bad month. You know, what are you telling yourself or what are some tricks that you've used to kind of keep positive and stay on the right mindset and turn things around?
1: I, I don't have a lot of trouble personally staying positive. So I, I would tell you, for me, it's really easy because I am so future-oriented. I'm wired that way. And that's, that's just DNA and genetics that I'm wired that way. I've always been that way. I always think that there's a way out of this. There's something that can be improved. There's a way to get a better result. But I would tell you, it is, it is worth thinking about what you say to yourself, your self-talk. So if you say, I'm in a slump... I don't know how to get out of this slump. I don't think that I'm going to be able to get out of this slump before the end of the quarter. I'm not sure if I'm going to make my number. Your brain will accept all of those things as true. And there's nothing more powerful than taking action. So if you're in a slump, if you're struggling... I would tell you probably the best advice I could give you would be to go on a negativity fast. Just get all negativity out of your life and start listening to Les Brown and Brian Tracy and Stephen Covey and Anthony Robbins and just start pouring in positive, empowering thoughts because you have to change your inner critic and the person who is telling you, look, you can't do anything from here, to your inner coach, somebody who's going to say, listen, we got this. There's a lot of actions that we can take. And ultimately, if you're in a slump, you're gonna to need to take massive action. And as soon as you start taking massive action, one, not only do you produce better results, even if it's not right away, you feel better because you've empowered yourself to act. And when you sit and you wallow and you have bad self-talk, you're disempowering yourself and not taking action. And the more you disempower yourself, and the, the longer it takes for you to take those actions, you sort of end up in a, in a downward spiral instead of an upward spiral. So I, I think it matters what you take in. Turn off Facebook. Turn off the news. Don't buy any of the nonsense that's being sold to you as, uh, as your reality. And take in positive thinking because ultimately you can be and do and have and contribute whatever you want.
0: Well, it also comes down to thinking about what you want to happen, not what you don't want to happen. Right. If you're thinking about I didn't hit my number, I don't feel good about that meeting. I'm not going to close that sale. That's what's going to materialize itself. And before we move on from this topic, one of the things that you wrote that's had the biggest impact on me, Anthony, is this abundance mindset, a mindset of abundance, and just that word for whatever reason really resonated with me. And so I just wanted to add that in. Anything you'd add to that, or how you came up with that that abundance mindset thought?
1: I I grew up with massive scarcity. And uh, I, I grew up with massive scarcity and uncertainty, and uh, it took me until in deep into my 30s to recognize how much abundance there really is. When you think about it, the universe is nothing but abundance, and I think we live on a worldwide economy of something like 120 trillion dollars. I mean, I can't. I, I can. I, it's hard to describe what a trillion is, but I'll give you the best number I can give you. A trillion seconds ago was almost forty thousand years ago. That's how long a trillion seconds was. So when you start thinking about an economy that's measured in hundred and twenty trillion dollars, I mean, there's nothing but abundance. And in every single area of our our world, there's nothing but abundance. It's just not equally distributed. Mm. and And that's the challenge. And I would tell you there are some people, who need a lot to be happy. And there are some people who can be happy with very little. And I've been happy with both of those. But I think that when you look around and say, is there enough? There's plenty. You just have to decide what part of it you're willing to work for to have and, and what's going to make you happy. And it could be different for, for each of us. But the the fact of the matter is when you look and you study, there is really no scarcity. And it's particularly because the human animal that we are, uh, is, infinitely resourceful and even when we have no resources we still have our resourcefulness and that comes with uh, absolutely no limitations creativity doesn't have any boundaries imagination has no boundaries
2: I want to transition real quick to the rapid-fire after you know just one more question here sure the my favorite post that you've ever written on your blog is what can someone do in an hour and it's you know you list off maybe I don't know a dozen or two dozen things Uh, You know, you can write a handwritten thank you. You can, you know, reach out to your dream client. You can, you know, spend time with, you know, you get coffee with uh, a family member, whatever it is. But it's like, get out of your email, get out of doing things that aren't going to move you forward, get off of Facebook. Um, Can you just speak to what inspired that post? And we're going to link that because I I absolutely love that, that writing.
1: Uh, There are a lot of people who, because they only have an hour, decide (laughs) not to do anything with that hour and i i don't i don't know that we always recognize uh how long an hour is and how much you can really get done in one single hour and if you if you want to be super productive i mean if you get up 1 hour earlier than you get up now i mean you have time to go to the gym you have time to have breakfast with your family you have time to write for for me i can probably write 1200 words in an hour um I, I think there's so many things that you can do and then people sit and let an hour tick by without actually accomplishing anything when they could have accomplished some of the things that they say, I wish I had time for. So what what inspired me to write that was just uh, the observation on people sitting, waiting for something. When they have a full hour, they have plenty of time. And it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but when you realize what you can do in that, I mean, if you if you think about over the course of a year getting up an hour earlier, that's 365 hours. What could you do in 365 hours? Uh, if you wrote 500 words an hour, you would have written, uh, I mean, hundreds of thousands of words. It's it's just, it's staggering to me that we let those hours go by. So that's why I wrote that.
0: It resonated with both of us. And it's all about that compound interest, right? Compound interest in yourself. Yeah. You do an hour today, an hour tomorrow, for the next year where will you be so
1: it stacks
0: it does love the pose. so to Tom's point let's dive into the rapid fire and these are just a couple quick hitting questions I want to start with what is your morning routine like
1: I normally get up at four thirty. 30 um, there are days where I will sleep later than that if I was up later than that like this week my son had a s opening of his play and I didn't get home until 10.30, so I slept until 6 the next morning because on seven hours I'm the Dalai Lama, and on five hours I'm Adolf Hitler. So uh, the amount of sleep matters a lot. And I, I tend to write first thing in the morning, and I tend to do uh, meditations and affirmations in the morning, and I will do those at other times of the day too. A lot of times I can meditate in the afternoon. Uh, even if it's for 10 or 20 minutes, it's it's good. And then typically I work out uh, in the morning before I start my day. So the 4.30 start time is what allows me to get all those things done in the morning before I actually start my work day. And, and I, the, the shift for me happened uh, about eight years ago when I realized that if you get up early, you get a really the time that you need to yourself to do all the things that you want to do before the world starts making demands of you.
0: Well, we're certainly early birds here in San Francisco. Tom and I are, and I want to drill in just real quick on the meditation piece. What? How long do you meditate? Do you use any apps to help you?
1: I don't. I don't use any apps, but I have used Headspace, which I like uh, a great deal. And I think if you're new to meditation, actually having a guided meditation is super helpful. Um, I I do. Uh, a form of, uh, Zen meditation and mindfulness meditation with coaching from, from people who've spent decades meditating. So mine is now, um, eyes mostly open and mostly focused for about 30 minutes on, on, uh, some sort of a, what's called a Watu or a Koan. And, and it's a challenge that sort of gets you out of your, your conscious mind and into something else. But 30 minutes twice a day is what I shoot for. And for
0: those folks who think they don't have time to do that, Anthony Norino does it 60 minutes a day. Ray Dalio does it 40 minutes a day. Phil Jackson does it an hour a day. Start making some time to meditate and, and just get, get in tune with yourself.
1: Well, you know the old saying, right? If you don't have an hour to meditate, meditate for two hours.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, that, that's awesome. Um, so, Anthony, you also talk a little bit uh, in your writing about you know investing in yourself, and I think that's a bit of a, a buzzword that folks our age hear a lot. And there's so many different ways that you could possibly do it. Is it a conference? Is it you know finding a mentor? Is it you know just reading a ton of books? What's one uh, favorite way that, that you've invested in yourself over the years?
1: All, all of the above. I mean, I, I've had a lot of years in college and education. I know there's a there's a lot of people out saying that college is a waste of time if you want to be an entrepreneur. It's not true. I mean, an, anything that's going to give you a greater insight to to human beings and the the big trends of history is worth your time and attention, and it's worth investing in. And still, the math is still... Uh, greatly in favor of an education. Uh, If you spend uh, $125,000 on your education, as a man, you will on average make $600,000 more uh, over the course of your life. So still a good ROI on that. Conferences are great. Books are great. Uh, Online programs are great. I still have and do all of those. I would tell you my favorite method for self improvement in the way I invest in myself now has changed dramatically, and I'll give you just two sort of thoughts on this. One, if somebody has a, a useful lens on the world that I don't have, I'll go directly to that person and find a way to get their time so that I can get the lens that they have. And if they have it and it's useful... I'll go and ask to study with that person and have them give me whatever coaching I can get from them so that I can get that lens faster and get a deeper understanding. The second thing I would tell you is that I have massively slowed down my reading. And when I was younger, I was reading a book a week. I read a book a week outside of my reading in law school. And I wanted to just gain knowledge and it it was gaining knowledge. But what what happens over time is you realize that the investment that you put into a book is what dictates the return. So if you read a book very quickly and you don't have a plan for acting on what you're reading, you might as well not read the book. So I've slowed my reading to about a book a month instead of a book a week, but I'm drinking a lot deeper from whatever it is that I've decided. So I would tell you, if you want to think about your... Your development you want to think of it as a longer term plan and you really want to think about um, where do I invest my time and my energy, not just my money.
0: Mm-hmm. And while we're on that book theme, what's one book you would give to someone? Doesn't have to be sales related, but some book that you think has a, just a profound influence on your life and that you would, you want to give to someone.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm limited to one book.
0: One book. It's oh, tough. I
1: know. Uh, well, it would depend on the person I was giving the book to. I mean, I, I would have to look at them and figure out what book would serve them the best. Uh, well, how
2: much? Which about is this? my way.
1: My, 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 my shift now is to give you multiple books uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay. Uh, James Allen, As a Man Thinketh. Uh, George Leonard, Mastery. Howard Bloom's The Lucifer Principle, A Scientific Expedition into the Forces of History. Uh, any book by Robert Wright, but probably starting with The Moral Animal. Uh, all of the books by Ken Wilber that you can get through, uh, starting with uh, Theory of Everything. Uh, I would, it, it would depend on who the person was, but I think that there are some books, and again, we're back to lenses, mm-hmm. that give you a different view of the world than the one you have. And I think that's where growth comes from, is where you see things through different eyes. So I tend to look for things like that. And you mentioned Ray Dalio. His book on principles is a terrific book. And uh, I think his, his insight is great, but I think his intention is greater. And his intention is for you to figure out what your principles are, which makes it an extremely powerful blueprint for thinking that way.
2: That's, that's great, and I think we're gonna be uh, hitting up Amazon with, with some of these recommendations after the, after the call here. Um, and so last, last question here from me on the rapid fire. Uh, you spoke about how to make the most out of the hour. You know, Following this interview, uh, to put you on the spot here, w- what's your next hour gonna partake in? Uh,
1: the next hour. So the next hour I'm interviewing Scott Maltz uh, about his new book called Find the Fire for my podcast. And then uh, the half hour after that, I've got Morgan Ingram, uh, who does SDR Chronicles on YouTube, interviewing me. He'll be the first guest uh, interviewer on my own podcast. So I'm going to be on my podcast being interviewed by Morgan, who I like a lot. And then from 1130 to 1230 is the Lost Art of Closing Facebook mastermind group, where I'll spend an hour with people who have bought the book and who show up on Saturdays to share a little bit about the book and ask questions
2: that that's awesome and and folks this is taking place on a saturday just so everyone's aware the the man is on a mission he's on a grind and and you know can't can't respect that enough so and love that you're you know you have that all planned out so look anthony this has been awesome one last thing for you here um you know any last thoughts for the audience and then also where can we where can we find you on social media
1: I mean, I, I I think the 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 last thoughts probably back where we started. You know, if you're if you want to be more and do more and have more, you know, contribute more. Go go find a way to make a difference. That's probably the best uh, the best thing. Be somebody who can make that difference. To find me, you go to thesalesblog dot com. Uh, there's a little social button that says follow at the top, and I'll connect with you on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever it makes sense.
0: There it is, folks. Well, Anthony, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and we hope to have you on, have you on again real soon. Thanks again.:
1: uh, Thanks for having me. <laughs> that
2: is some killer content from Anthony Ian Areno. Please folks, show this man some love. link in with him, hit him on Twitter, buy his new book. Uh, we both read it. It's incredible. Uh, and, and you know he's got a sales blog. Uh, Called the sales blog, rightfully so. Um, Otherwise, we're loving all the support that we get. Please, please, if you found any value, the one thing that we could really use uh, are some iTunes reviews. Uh, Tell your friends, tell your brothers, tell your sisters, tell a stranger on the street about us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, So you can reach out to us on social, on email. We'd love to hear from you guys. We got some more guests in the hopper that are absolute fire coming in October, November, December. Everyone's lined up, so we're looking forward to it. Have a great rest of the day, y'all.